We do have Bibles in front. You can also still use the app and look up Mark chapter 8. And this week, we're not going to read through the whole section. We're just going to, going to walk through it step by step. But the question I have for you this morning, and I, I just have to, before I ask it, I'm just going to say that from our meeting this morning that we have with all the volunteers to the beginning of service to what uh, George set up here and to what Pam set up here, I think everything has been unintentional on the human side, but very intentional on the spiritual side, because everything sort of funnels down and lines up completely with what we're going to talk about today. At least I felt it, and I'm probably going to jack it all up, but uh, my intention, it was just like everything that was said, it was like, wow, wow, wow. Here we go. And so one of the things I want to say is what challenges really face us in the Christian life? What challenges really face us in the Christian life? Now, we can talk about circumstances, we can talk about uh, difficulties, and yes, they do abound. They absolutely abound, and they do not end. Matter of fact, I get this sense often that when I begin to make way, in the 80s, Paul Abdul had a song, it's like two steps forward and one step back, or one step forward and two steps back. I think that's how it goes. It's like, I, I, I feel like you get a step, and then it's like all of a sudden you sort of go down backwards on the ski hill. And you, know, you ever try to do that? You ever done it on a hill and just go backwards? It gets ugly, and you fall, and there's a ski yard sale everywhere. Life is like that. Can I get an amen on that? We'll be good Baptists today. Amen? I mean, it happens. We think we got it together, and it's like, I hear the words from my childhood, behold, when you think you stand, take heed lest ye fall. So you think you get it together, everything's going good, and you're jiving. I'm just going to say, it's going to happen. Something's going to come. Something's going to come. And so I want to propose to you this morning uh, that the greatest challenge for a Christian and I would say even for a non-Christian this morning, would be a lack of faith. The greatest challenge for a Christian and a non-Christian is a lack of faith. Now you might go, wait a second, Eric, I believe in God, I believe, I believe that. I, I don't want to tear you down too much. I want you to have faith. I want you to know that you have faith that is rooted in Christ, but I want to propose that my, help me make it easy for you. My biggest struggle as I'm really sort of narrowing it down is my lack of faith. And I want to let you just sit on that for a second. What does that look like? What does that look like? Well, uh, as we've gone through Mark, we've seen all along Jesus with his disciples and he does miraculous things. And he, you know, he fed the 5,000 plus. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. He healed the, the demoniac and people with infirmities. He did this work, done this work, doing this work. And they're all eyewitnesses to it. And what do they struggle with all along? A lack of faith. Is he really God? And we know if we fast forward the story that at the cross, they still disperse like roaches, except for John. They were, their faith was just shallow. So I want you to be encouraged that if the disciples, terribly shocking that we, if you, if you agree with my presupposition, that we struggle with faith as well. Is that fair? So we can all be on an even playing ground. If, if those guys can suffer from that, and I can suffer from that too. That does not mean I do not have a relationship with God, but it does mean I have a human problem. 
And I just think today that we have to accept that we have a human problem, and that is disbelief, lack of faith, and looking at our circumstances to dictate our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is not the case. So in Mark 8, chapter 1, we're going to begin reading just a couple verses, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about it. In those days when, again, a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Jesus looked on these crowds and he had compassion. This word compassion is just not like a, a, um, a website that we go to to support people in other countries. This is, a, this is not just a generic outside, oh, I'm so, I feel sorry for you. This is a, it's literally talking about the heart, lungs, kidney, liver of the human body. The main function of the body that Jesus was hurting on his insides for the crowds. And I just like, I look at that, and we've seen that before when he looked at the crowds of the 5,000 plus, he had compassion on them. He looked and he felt for them. God incarnate had compassion on the crowds. So uh, this isn't part of the sermon necessarily, but my question is, do you genuinely look at other people with compassion? Deep down, rooted compassion. You know, and... There are circumstances in the media, there are circumstances in our world where I think people lack compassion. They allow a political ideology or a situation of what they think of, of what's fair and not, to dictate a worldview when Jesus, right at the heart, he had compassion on them. I stand in front of you as someone who is clearly guilty of that in my own heart. Lack of compassion. You know, this thing. And so, but Jesus, if we're going to do what Jesus did, we should grow in our compassion for those who are hurting. This is not the key part of the sermon, but just a piece of it. So Jesus had a compassion that went to the core of his being. Verse 4, and his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Now, I don't know, some of you are visiting and stuff like that, but we have already walked through that they have experienced Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus however many women and children were before. He's seen that. They've seen it already. So here they are again with a smaller amount of crowd. This is 4,000. And this, and the way it's worded in the Greek, that is a total crowd. It's not plus anything. It's around 4,000 people. And their answer was, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? I think it's also interesting that the word desolate is there. Uh, I believe that Jesus works in, probably in my life, and I want to propose your life, when we are in the desolate places. Uh, you know, the uh, the, the training takes place in the valley, not in the mountaintops. We all love the mountaintops. 
If I could do it, I'd love to go to Everest. You know, I just would have loved to have done that. See Everest, whatever, get to the mountaintop. But you can't stay there long or you will surely die. Same way in life, there's a lot of mountaintops. But Jesus reaches us and ministers us and feeds us in desolate places. So this should be an encouragement to you this morning. If you are in a desolate place, maybe the Lord is trying to do something. And you might ask the question, how can he feed me here? And he asked them, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. So they'd already forgotten. Interesting to note that some people want to argue that this is a dual story that was sort of aggrandized. And so there was a feeding of the 5,000 and then there's a feeding of the 4,000. There's a lot of similarities, but there's also some differences. For one, the people in Mark 8 were there for three days, wherein when they fed the 5,000 plus, they were there for one. There were seven loaves, not five, and there were fewer baskets of leftovers. Also, it's interesting that the second time it's read uh, on this one, and this time it, the Greek word refers to a sardine, whereas the original 5,000 plus, it referred to a fish. So a sardine is actually a smaller fish. The fish probably before was quite maybe a little bit bigger than a sardine. Um, but God feeds us in desolate places. The disciples had a lack of faith moment, a lack of faith lapse. How are we going to do this? And so as I was reading this this week, I went home and I got a letter in the mail. I'm not going to tell you all the specifics. I'm not going to waste too much time on it. But I opened up a letter that absolutely rocked my soul. You ever got something like that, just like an email or a letter? And the letter wasn't from someone I knew. It was just something that came. And immediately, I got into fix-it mode. I began to get troubled. I began to get worried. I began to go, what about this? What about this? You ever make the options far worse than they actually are? Anyone ever? Just me? It's just me. Okay, we got a few just like, I'm thinking of, you know, the sky is falling, and we've got to go jump on a rocket somewhere and get out of here because something's going to happen. And I'm just all worked up. And I read part of my sermon preparation. The disciples forgot that Jesus fed and took care of them all along the way. I think it is the human capacity to deal with the past and say, if you've reconciled it as you should, I've got that. To deal with today because I've got that. But tomorrow can be stinking scary. Tomorrow can be what if, what if, what about this, what about that, what about that. And Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because today has enough trouble on its own. So the disciples had got caught in their circumstances, got caught in their situations. Maybe if you want to make it to common day context, maybe they had a bill they couldn't pay or a legal thing that came due or a letter from the IRS or, um, you know, you name it, a pink slip at work and all this stuff where they see the impossibilities and Jesus is going, I am right here with you, right here with you. And they're going, how can you do this? Like, because I'm just going to answer for him because I'm Jesus. I'm God in the flesh right here before you. And I want to propose to you this morning, if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's live within you. He is with you at all times. He is not surprised by your circumstance. 
He's not deistic in a sense that he's an old man sitting up in heaven letting all this play out. He is with you day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute. And if we see what Jesus did, he constantly went to the Father and got alone and laid out his troubles before him. Jesus didn't necessarily go, how can I fix this? But God, how are you going to fix this? I'm just going to walk in faith and walk obediently. God feeds us in desolate places. Verse 6, and he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. There's an interesting thing to separate the old, uh, the 5,000 plus versus the 4,000. The 5,000 plus was mostly to like a, a, a Jewish crowd. The prayer that Jesus pr- prayed was like an Old Testament prayer um, of, you know, when they would just go in before, it was sort of like, just thank you, O Lord, all that you provided, very Old Testament. This one was to a primary pagan Gentile crowd. And Jesus took up the bread, and when he broke it, the word here is, uh, I'm not going to pronounce this right, but Eucharistian, which comes from the Eucharist, as some of you might be familiar with in your tradition, where Jesus broke, like you come into the table, my body was broken for you, take and eat. So Jesus took this. So one thing, he's saying multiple things here. One, the 5,000 plus, his main ministry was to the Jewish people, but as we learned last week, he went and he went up north. And then he ended up into the Decapolis area, and he ministered to the pagan crowd, and he said that my ministry is also to the Gentile people. It can't be proven, but there were seven pieces of bread, and some think that because there were seven Gentile um, people groups that were listed in the Old Testament, it was representative of that. We're just going to go with for sure that Jesus said that his ministry was to everyone, not just to a certain people group. Verse uh, 9, and there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away, and immediately he got up into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthanu. So he sent them away. Look at that verse in verse 9. He sent them away. The, the word literally means he liberated them. He sent them away. He freed them. He gave them. Uh, he spoke to them. He shared with them. We don't know what happened in the whole story, but he said he sent them away. He freed them. If, if you had the experience of liberation in Jesus Christ where he who set you free is free indeed, he has set you free, you are free indeed, you have been liberated in Christ. These folks were liberated, and they immediately went and got into the boat with his disciples. Just want to say again that only... Jesus can liberate you. It's not your physical needs. It's not your uh, job and all this stuff. True liberation comes by a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 11. So there at the boat, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. So they're trying to get away. Jesus is trying to get into the boat they're going to separate from the crowds. The disciples did get in the boat with Jesus, which is a good thing. 
But the Pharisees came, they were combative. This wasn't a, oh, great teacher, show us a sign, we really want to believe you. This was like, show, he's already shown signs. They've already seen it. I was convicted by this. I'm just going to let you into my little head. I suffer at times from a lack of faith. There, the situation and circumstances come, and I have been, I don't know if the word guilty is right, but I have asked for God like a sign from Gideon, like come and show me that this is right. Come and do this for me, God, and show me. You know, sort of like playing with a lab experiment, putting chemicals in a, a vial. Come on, maybe this will happen or this will happen, and it blows up in front of you. I, I have been guilty of sitting there, show me a sign, show me a sign, God. Show me, show me that you love me when times are dark, when depression seeks in, when anxieties are high, when fear comes out. These Pharisees were looking for a sign. 1 Corinthians 1.22 says, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. These uh, Pharisees were looking for a sign. And in, if you go outside of the Pharisees and the Jewish people, you have the whole area of Alexander the Great had conquered. And they were all about wisdom. Show me wisdom. Show me wisdom. And they would probably gravitate towards the Proverbs. And so there's some people out there who's like, you know, you don't need to show me a sign, but I'm just going to follow these principles. I want to be wise. Probably most of my life, that has been probably my main prayer is asking for wisdom. I want to be wise. I want to be, I want to know the right answers. I want to do this. And I think there is a danger to focusing on signs and focusing on wisdom. Help me fill in the blank. Our focus needs to be put on Who? Jesus, looking for a sign this morning, you might not get one. Looking for wisdom this morning, you might get it, but it will not fill you. It will not fill your spirit. Verse um, 12, and he sighed deeply in his spirit. So this is literally a guttural, <sighs> if you're a parent, you know, kids do something. Or if you're a spouse and your spouse does something. If you're my wife and your husband does something. <sighs> yeah. Jesus was frustrated. And some of that's encouraging to me because it says Jesus was without sin. And I'm not going to say that you, your frustration is necessarily without sin. But Jesus was just, man, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got in the boat again, and went to the other side. He'd had enough with them. Like, I have had enough looking for a sign. Listen to this. Faith, and I wish I'd have put this up top, but I don't think I did. Faith that depends on proof is not faith. Let me parenthesis here. This doesn't mean that God didn't give us a mind. doesn't mean that, that we can't study and grow in our faith because of revelation of science and stuff like that. It's not what I'm saying. But faith that depends on um, proof is not faith, but only veiled doubt. 
Faith that depends, I'll make it shorter you, that depends on proof is more like veiled doubt. Well, God, I need a sign. Oh, God, I just want to be wise. Help me get through this. So listen to this real short story. If a man hires a private eye to spy on his wife while he is away in order to prove her faithfulness, the detective's proof will scarcely guarantee the husband's faith. Faith, like love itself, cannot be proven. It can only be demonstrated by trust and active commitment. Faith that depends on proof is not faith, but only veiled doubt. I'm just going to call it Ray-Ban faith. I want to keep... I want to stop everything from coming in. I want to see things. I want to see things how I want to see them. I want to block this stuff out. I want things to look how I want to so that they look like how I want to, then my faith will be secure. In uh, one of my discipleship groups, it was just brought up that faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. Hope for. So there is within us a hope for something, and that's not bad, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. Our hope ultimately is eternity with Jesus Christ, eternity worshiping God forever, worshiping um, with each other. It's a substance of things hoped for, but faith needing proof daily from God to show you a sign or to give you something is veiled doubt. Faith comes when one steps in the boat with Jesus and does not prefer to remain in the safety on the shore. The disciples left the crowds. They left maybe what was comfortable, and they did get in the boat with Jesus. So you see, it goes from 4,000 to a smaller group on the shore, and then you're in the boat with Jesus. So faith comes when you step in the boat with Jesus and don't stay in safety. Faith requires us not to need a safety chain. Faith requires us to go unveiled, unhindered, unadulterated before God and say, I trust you with my life no matter what it ends up looking like because I believe what you said that you're going to do. Your word is true. This could be seen when uh, Elizabeth Elliot went back to the place where her husband was uh, decapitated and the headhunters took her husband and killed him and ate him. They were cannibals and she came back and led them to Jesus Christ. It did not turn out originally how she expected. I want to give you a guarantee. Life has not turned out exactly how I thought it would. Is that a shocker to anybody? Something about when you're young Oh, I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go do this. This is going to happen. And this, yeah, mom and dad, this is what I'm going to do. And I think it's something, if you're younger here, just bear with me. Just bear with me. But you older folks can be like, "Mm mm-hmm. I think there's something about when you get older, it's like, I love your enthusiasm. I love your passion. I believe your heart is in the right place. But things aren't going to go like you think they're going to go. If you're younger here this morning, just sort of write that one down. 
And I remember that old guy sat up front there sometimes and said that stuff. I thought he was crazy, and he is. But he talks about himself in the third person. Uh, Verse 14. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So they forgot to bring the bread. They got one loaf of bread. And then later you're going to see, they're like, how are we going to be fed? And he goes, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So you might remember Julius Caesar uh, from Shakespeare where he, the soothsayer came out and he's like, Caesar, beware of the eyes of March, March. Beware, watch out. You know, if you're in a revolutionary war, the British are coming. It's like something's getting ready to happen. When God incarnate says beware, look out, beware, you might want to look at what's being said. Might want to consider. Might want to pay attention. Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. We're laughing at them. But every day this week, something in my head, I'm worried about wondering, how's it going to happen? Not y'all. Jesus, and you're wondering, where are we going to get the bread? And Jesus, aware of this, and I mean, let's just look at the obvious. Jesus says, I am the what of life? The bread of life. I find it's interesting, and I don't know that there's any numbers, coincidence here, but they had one loaf of bread with them physically, and I think spiritually they had the loaf of bread. They had wonder bread with them. And they're worrying about how they're going to get fed. And Jesus, verse 17, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? These are the disciples. These are the future leaders of the church. If they are warned about their heart, maybe you and I should just take a little time and look at our own hearts. See what's in there. In the uh, New Testament, I know many of you are aware of this because we teach on this a lot, that leaven is a sign of pride. It's a a, uh, reference to sin. Um, We hear about it in pride in 1 Corinthians 5 as well as malice and wickedness. We also hear it as a false teaching on circumcision in Galatians 5, 9. Jesus is saying to them, beware of false doctrine. Watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for unbelief. Herod and the Pharisees all wanted to see more miracles, more signs, almost like having the witch doctor come and do a big show in front of them. Pride had gotten into these disciples' heart. Lack of faith had gotten in. And they had just, they were questioning machines. Verse 18, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear and do you not remember? He said all along, let he who has what? Ears, 
let him hear. Do you not remember? We say never forget for 9-11. We remember uh, December 7th, the day which will live in infamy. We might remember June 6th, D-Day, never forget, never forget, never forget. We just had the Vietnam Wall come in there uh, here recently. We don't want to forget. But Jesus says, do you not remember? I just want to say lovingly to you this morning, if you're a believer, do you remember the goodness of the Lord? He's been there. He's been faithful. Through difficult, stressful painful times. And I think it would behoove us to remember those times, to when we get to a place of fear and anxiety, wonder where the bread's going to come in, that we just go, God, here and here and here and here and here and here and here. He's always provided. He's always cared for. We've always, we're still here, aren't we? God has been faithful. He reminds them when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. Verse 20, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Church, Do you understand what Jesus is saying? When you get into the boat, you don't need miracles. Miracles are good, not downplaying it. You don't need signs. You don't need wisdom. You don't need all this stuff. You need the bread of life. You need to be reminded that he is there with you. He is there for you. And he will sustain you. Our proximity to Jesus must grow into understanding and understanding into faith or else, like Judas, it will in the end inoculate us to the meaning of his person and work. Our proximity to Jesus, our closeness to Jesus must grow into understanding. Now, this I'm not saying you're going to, everyone's going to turn into Judas. This is not what this is saying. But if you are in an experiential phase where you're just sort of testing the waters with Jesus, if, you are, if your understanding and learning who he is doesn't turn into faith, then you're just around Jesus. You're, you might be in the boat with Jesus because he might have been there, but we need to um, understand the person and work with Jesus. They didn't understand that Jesus came to die that Jesus came to raise, be rose again, and he ultimately was going to go into heaven and send the Holy Spirit. We need to understand that. James Edwards says this, The disciples mirror humanity at large, which is so stuck in its own world and cares and cares that it is blind and deaf to God. The disciples are anxious about lack of bread, but Jesus is anxious about their lack of faith. Do we understand? This week, for about five hours, I did not understand. I fretted. I was bothered. I was worried. I was thinking. And God lovingly 
reminding me, Eric, I've got this. Think about all the other things in your life. So I love this part. The disciples are anxious about lack of bread. We are anxious about lack of something or the absence of something or the presence of something. Jesus is wanting us to not lack in faith, but grow in faith, to grow in peace, to abide in peace. So when we come to the table this morning, if you are a believer, I said lack of faith is the problem for believers and unbelievers. If you are a Christian this morning and your life is cycling through the lack of faith spectrum that you know, you've got blinders on when bad things happen, you become into fix-it mode. How am I going to deal with this? I just want to lovingly say, just confess it before God. Hey, that was me he was talking about. I don't have names of you written up here, all right? Spirit's going to deal with that with you if that's you. But just, man, I do that. So I'm just confessing to you. That's me. Write it down. My name's on there. Come forward and say, Jesus, I want to grow in faith. Not, yeah, I want wisdom. Yeah, I'm great with signs. But God, I don't need that for my faith to grow. I need to trust you. So I'd ask you to come this forward, forward this morning when we take of the bread and the cup. And come joyfully just saying, yep, this is me. God, I trust you, though. This morning, God, I want to grow in faith. If you have not trusted Jesus this morning, maybe you're in, outside the boat. You're looking in. You're asking for a miracle. Have you ever asked, had people come to you, question Christianity, and go, well, can you heal someone for me or do this so you can show me that it's true? Jesus has proven that all those things will, just, will not grow people's faith. It just grows their curiosity. When the Holy Spirit comes and people open their hearts before God and say, I've had enough of trying, Jesus, I want to trust you. I'm just going to ask you this morning, if you have not placed your trust in Jesus, you have a faith problem. And it's your re re real resting on everything else to give you peace instead of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've came to give you abundant life. He's offering it to you this morning that's something that you desire we'd ask that you would just ask him at your seat if you want to come forward there'll be people up here at the end who would love to pray with you the disciples are anxious about lack of bread but jesus is anxious about lack of faith jesus will meet you in desolate places and it is only jesus that can fill you let's pray heavenly father i just thank you that we can rest in you that our circumstances only give proof to the fact that we do not have things together, that we cannot control our lives. Lord, I thank you for one thing, and that is that Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, we just want to come before you and stand on the rock. And Lord, we ask that our faith would grow in Jesus' name. Amen.